0: Travellers, and welcome to podcast 57 in our series,
1: You Should Have Been There, with me, Simon Calder, and me, Mick Webb. And today, we're looking ahead with unrestrained optimism to the future of holidaying and visiting Spanish beaches, because our guests today are Lola Coulsan and John Weller, whose book on hidden Spanish beaches is just about to be published. Hi, John, and Hola, lola, which I've been looking forward to saying since I discovered that you are originally from Spain. But uh, you're not there now, are you?
2: I wish I was. Good morning, boys. Good morning.
1: (laughs) Good morning, John. And uh, right. Well, before we get on to talking about your book, uh, Simon, have we had any tweets or uh, messages to mention? Because my Twitter account seems to have broken
0: Ah, well, luckily um, I can still still retrieve the details. Last week, of course, we heard Joe Fallon's inspiring journey from IT recruitment to setting up his own group travel enterprise in Thailand. Um, and uh, the last time we heard from Joe, he was heading off for a beachside bar for a beer at sunset with his girlfriend, Tim Coxon, who, by the way, I see from his profile is a Sunderland supporter, said he enjoyed the uh, podcast. Sounds like hell living in Thailand, during. (laughs) the pandemic and of course you can get in touch with us anytime you like our twitter
1: handle is at you should have bt you should have bt well sorry about that uh john and lola let's get on to talking about your book um and uh i must say uh, having looked at uh, the pdf of it uh, i think it looks absolutely lovely uh, and also very interesting and i wish that i'd had it when i've been on uh, my many travels around spain and i often have um, wondered whether there was a uh, a hidden beach just over that uh, rocky headland but thought oh, can i actually be bothered to go and stagger down there and then find that there is no beach at all so um uh, what was it that uh, that set you out on this trail?
3: Well, we love travelling. Good morning, by the way. Um, we both live in London near Hampstead Heath. We swim in Highgate Ponds. so it's called world swimming these days. We love adventure. We love getting off the beaten track. And as you said, I'm half Spanish. I spent every summer there in my childhood, and I actually learnt to swim in the Mediterranean. Um, and with our son, we began visiting our mom, my mum's village in rural, right in rural Spain, Guadalajara. And just started exploring, discovering swim spots, rivers, lakes and reservoirs. And we wrote our first book, Wild Swimming Spain, in 2016 and just really began to realise how much there is to Spain, how varied it is and how undiscovered it is beyond the tourist resorts. And so, yeah, we just we took a year off our jobs, um, got managed to get a sabbatical and travelled the whole coast of Spain in a camper van. I think we might be the only couple that have ever done that. Uh, From the border of Portugal in the north to the border of Portugal in the south. And around
1: the Balearic Islands as well. And the Balearic Islands as well, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I was uh, going to
2: interrupt yeah. there. Um, yeah, I was, I
3: was never going to miss a trip to
2: Ibiza. <laughs> so, I,
0: and it's really interesting that that's actually the way that the uh, chapters are laid out. So it starts in the south of the Costa Galicia, um, that wild coastline um, looking out, uh, well, I presume it almost takes in um, Finisterre, the end of the world, and then rotates around, yep, uh, all the way along the north coast and then uh, from the Costa Brava to the Costa del Sol and beyond the Strait of Gibraltar to Costa de la Luz with, yes, um, Ibiza, Formentera, Mallorca and Menorca. And gosh, all of those uh, beautifully illustrated as well. Um, but goodness sake, um, hidden beaches, that doesn't sound like Spain. It's the most popular tourist country for Brits in Britain. So how do you decide on what uh, what, what constitutes a hidden beach?
3: Well, we um, the rule that we set ourselves was that there couldn't be a bar or a restaurant, um, <laughs> and generally not lifeguards. Um, within that, there's some so there's some we found some so hidden that they have no name. Others are next door to a busy beach, but hidden or difficult access. In Cantabria, for example, um, this ju- uh, last July, we were looking for this beach, and we drove past this really really busy place. The car park was full, and we continued along the coast. Ended up over a hill, along a dirt track, and then finally through a field of nonchalant cows. Um, we got to a low cliff where we found and um, followed a steep rabbit path onto this hidden corner, which was virtually deserted. So the beaches on either side were packed, well, reasonably <laughs> packed. And this one, there was three people on there.
1: Well, some of the beaches are obviously for the more adventurous, but I think they are also somewhere you could perfectly well... Um, take a couple of fairly young and protesting children couldn't you and sort of get them down to the water fairly quickly
2: i guess our book is for everybody i guess the kind of who doesn't like going to the beach maybe apart from goths i can't imagine goths at the beach you no know, guess it's people who are a bit adventurous or adventurous families or so yeah it's from those who maybe want to take a day out from doing something away from the hotel pool you know for those who want long heights wild camping adventures camper van owners and a whole range in between i guess I say it's in our book. There are some beaches that you have to drive down dirt tracks, but you can park a minute away. Or there are coves so hidden behind small villages. Some places you have to walk up and down hills and out to get to others. You have to virtually abseil down the side of a cliff. Seriously, we have risk our life on this place. You know, some are deserted in the height of summer. Some are some are better visited in the shoulder seasons. And you know, some are perfect for surfers. Others for snorkeling. Some are family friendly. And others, you know, the nudist beaches. You know. Some places we went to, we saw whole, the whole, whole families that were naked, yeah, you know, each to their own. And you've actually tracked down Europe's first
0: um, gay nudist beach, which which appears to date from uh, really a very long time ago.
3: Oh yeah, well this is Sidges, so it's just outside Telegon obviously again, another very busy area. Um, but we found this beach, the Playa del Om, the the beach of the man. And uh, I think it's been a gay gay nudist beach since the 1930s. And it, we didn't include this one, although we've mentioned it because it, it has a bar. Um, but it was next to two others that were, um, again, beautiful and hardly any people. Because that's, I guess that's what we were looking for. We were looking for places that, you know, generally they they take a bit more work to get to. But there's so many all over Spain.
1: Yeah, you. you I, I think it said that you had visited 450 beaches, which is, uh, I would say, pretty good going. And uh should just say that you do put some information in, which I think is really useful. Um, the walking times from uh, a car park or a railway station or uh, whatever the most useful uh, starting point is. And I think that's very good, that, um, because... Uh, I mean, quite often, if you're going down to the beach, you've got a reasonable amount of stuff with you. Uh, and, for example, in the old days, I used to have a windsurfer. And so the thought of going <laughs> going for 45 minutes down a cliff was not a great idea. So um, to have all of that, uh, all of that data, I think, is very good. And snorkelling as well, which I, I kind of, um, I like doing. And I've always wondered whether Spain actually has any decent snorkelling beaches. But uh, you have actually um, revealed quite a few.
3: Yeah, we just, we we wanted to, I mean, we wanted to make it as accessible, as useful for people. You know, we don't want somebody going to a beach expecting one thing and then they get another thing. So we tried to be as clear as possible about, you know, also... Um, we've included, we decided to include parking places because often if you, we all use the um, uh, sat nav or whatever these days. And if you just put in the, because we've included the map references, Google map references, but if you just put in the map reference for the beach, it often takes you to a very, not a very useful place uh, where there's nowhere to park. So we tried to include parking spaces. Also, if they had blue badge uh, spots, um, which some of them do. So there really is, you know, when we say it's something for everyone, there really is a mixture in there. There's, there's some places that are very difficult to get to and you're going to find no one. Um, we went to this one place in Costa Brava called Playa Neganta. Um, we we had to walk along quite...
1: What was that again? Sorry, Lola. What, what was that again? Costa
3: Brava. What was it called? Playa Neganta.
1: Yeah, Playa... Playa, Playa Neganta. Neganta.
3: Um, and... We had to, um, it, was, it was a long walk, it was a difficult walk, and then we got there and um, this uh, young man was climbing up the side of a mountain. This old lady was, older lady was coming out of a ravine and they'd been trying, We, the beautiful beach below us, but they hadn't been able to work out how to get down there. There was this beautiful golden sand beach um, within a um, uh, kind of inlet with rocks on either side not a single person on there um and then i because we've been doing this a while i spotted the way down but it was still we had to climb down loose loose rock falls of stones being careful not to step on anything which might come away from the wall but once we got and but this couple gave up and they just couldn't handle it anymore they had been trying for a while i guess and so we ended up having this beach completely to ourselves had this had a long swim out to sea and um, so the hard, generally the harder it is to get there the more likely you are to be on your own <laughs>
0: Um, it seems a real labour of love, though, because presumably these are so hard to reach, and you've of course got to claim your reward when you get there. That, um, well, you you couldn't have been researching beaches at the rate of ten a day, and if you've got four hundred and fifty, um, and covering many thousands of miles, presumably, um, yeah. What what? Uh, tell us the the time scale that was involved, and indeed, if there are any um, unexpected challenges along the way. So,
3: there's actually about four hundred and eighty. Um, we did a lot of research. John did a lot of research. He really put a lot of effort into finding out where the places were, how to get there, where there was a parking spot. But we did have a few mishaps. We went to, in Costa Almeria, we went to this beach called Cala de Malpaso, which actually means bad step Cove. which should have warned us that something <laughs> was going to go. So this was a lovely beach, hidden between the hills, covered in pink Uh, yellow sea asters and pink valerian anyway it was at at the bottom of a very steep sandy track and I was driving that day because we took it in turns and as I drove on drove onto this very steep part I noticed a parking space at the top but foolishly ignored it and drove down the slope and as soon as I was halfway down I thought oh my god this is too steep it's too sandy there's no way I'm getting back up that slope so we went onto the beach, we swam, we photographed all the things that we do. And then went to, I went to drive up and I just, I think I just started too slow or I panicked. Anyway, by halfway up, the wheels were spinning and I knew there's no way I could get to the top. So I started backing down. <laughs> but I'm really rubbish at working out which way to turn when you're looking in the mirror. Just kind of get it. Anyway, I ended up hitting the side of the track. <laughs> One of the wheels stuck in the ditch halfway up the slope couldn't get it out I had no phone signal to call anyone and um, eventually I went down to the beach to try and find some help or let get someone to let me use their phone and I asked this couple so this beefy young man in the smallest pair of trunks and nothing else came up to try and wedge our van out of there anyway he tried and tried couldn't then another guy came along and then I saw this, and then this third man drove up the slope in a camper van, just no problem, really expertly, and saw the state we were in and came and helped us out. Um, so between the three of them, they helped us out, and I got the guy to actually drive the van up, because by that time, I was just in a complete panic. Anyway, John laughed quite a lot, and even sent a photo to our son. Um, but the next, the very next day, we went to another beach called Cala Cristal, Crystal Cove, And he managed to drive straight into a ditch. So (laughs) we had to get somebody to tow us out. (laughs) So it was like karma came really, really quickly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I wanted to ask you about the photos, Uh, Well, John, I think you were uh, mainly responsible for them because they're obviously an important part of the book. Um, And I wonder how you approach them, because it is um, for somebody who's not a very expert photographer, but takes lots of pictures when he is travelling. I must say that my beach shots are really quite poor and uh, generally all look the same. And um, uh, you somehow managed to make them all look very different. Did that take a lot of thinking about?
2: I guess what I did, I did a lot of research before we left England. Because number one, we had to find the beaches. I spent a lot of time on Google oh, Maps yeah. and Google Earth, and obviously with Google Maps these days, you get you get to see other people's photographs oh, yeah. which have yeah. taken of the beaches. So I did a kind of I kind of looked a lot of other people's photographs and quickly could understand what kind of where was the best place to take the photos. So. um you know, trying to get the best flavour, I guess. And so when we actually arrived at the beach when we got to Spain, I kind of had a good idea in my on my, my head where would be yeah. the best vantage point. So that kind of works, I guess. You get obviously depending on which type of day you got to the beach, you know, you don't want to start taking photographs <laughs> with the, the sun in your face. Um I think I was also aware that there's no point in taking arty photos mm. of like, you know, surreal looking rocks, you know, um, I guess our readers really you need yeah. to see what a beach looks like before they get there. You make an informed decision of what you think looks looks nice. Or need to, really need to get a good idea of what a beach is like from the photos. Um, no one's going to open up a travel book and say, oh, look at this arsey photo of a wave, darling. Let's visit that beach. That's not going to happen. You, know, you need a photograph of the beach. Um, I think also I'm an, I'm an active photographer. I'm also kind of, you know, I'll get someone. I'm full of adrenaline. I think nothing of... Running up rocks or hanging off cliffs to get to get a good shot. I think I you know, I risked my life to get some of these shots, especially the cover photo. You know, I came back from that. You know, I was hanging off the edge of a cliff; and my legs were scratched to pieces just so I could you know, get a really good sh- uh, shot of the beach.
1: Lola, did you um, did you worry about uh, John while he was taking these uh, d- um, dangerous shots?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was like a mountain goat. You know, I'd I'd turn around and he'd be like halfway up the side of a cliff you know, taking a photo. Um, he just, yeah, he, he does, he just gets on adrenaline and then, then that's it. it, it the, the photo is everything, put it that way.
1: Well, I think you're both pretty intrepid swimmers and I wanted to ask you whether you actually swam um, off these beaches um, all year round or whether there comes a point in some parts of Spain where actually it gets really too cold.
3: I mean, that depends on, we do swim all year round. We, you know, we swim in Hampstead Ponds. I think 1.8 degrees is the lowest that I <laughs> swim in Hampstead Ponds. So, oh, <laughs> and you know, the 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 thing is that it's not all the Med in Spain. The north in the north, um, it's the Atlantic, and it's pretty cold. Around Galicia, it's pretty cold even in summer. Um, then, as you come round towards uh, Cantabria, it it gets a bit warmer. And then, obviously, the Mediterranean is like a pond. So that's. Uh,
2: yeah, pretty much. I think we sw- I think we we did swim at pretty much every beach that we visited. Just you know, we have got to test the waters, as they say. You were
1: you actually took part in a race, didn't you? Um, I, I I believe.
2: That- yeah, there's some. Um, I took part in a race in. It's an old historic race that's been going on for years. So Gandia, yeah, Gandia. That was where it was.
1: Oh, that's in southeast Spain, isn't it? Alicante way.
2: Yes, that was fun actually.
3: In Spain, there's a lot more. They're beginning to do quite a lot more swimming uh, races, but not many people swim in winter. They still think we're mad. They still look at look at us as if we're completely lunatics when we're swimming in the sea in winter.
0: Now, if I may, um, researching and publishing guidebooks over the past year um, has been um, slightly counterintuitive. How much did um, COVID restrictions impinge on your uh, your, your good work? <sighs>
3: Well, we did get locked down in Spain. Um, and in Spain, they had a proper lockdown. Like you couldn't actually leave the house except to go to the shop. And if they caught two of you going to the shop together, oh. they would send you back or fine you. There was roadblocks everywhere. Children did not leave the house for 48 days. Um, and that was just when we were about to leave. We'd, we'd written the first half of the book and we'd stopped for the winter to write up the first half because we had we had to submit the first half. And we were literally, a week before we were due to leave, we got locked down. And so, at you know, obviously, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know whether we were going to even be able to finish the book. So we managed to get a letter from our publisher to say that we were working. And we went to the police and we went to the civil guard to check whether it would be valid. And they said, well, it's fine by us, but Spain's different autonomous communities. So they couldn't guarantee that we would be able to passing if somebody else anyway we just said first of june we said right if we don't leave now um we won't get the rest of the book done you know we won't get it finished so we had a Ugh. clutching our piece of paper we left the house but it was it was quite tense you know because there were passing signs saying no travel between the provinces and we were traveling between the provinces and um, they'd been moving camper vans on everywhere so we tried to stay in campsites but then some of them were closed yeah, one night we, we couldn't get into a campsite and we went ended up in this car park right by the beach. There was loads of campers and cars. We weren't sure if people were planning to stay the night. I was asking people whether they were planning to stay the night. So we kind of, we had the windows tinted and when the police came around, we kind of hid in the in the van. Um, but it was well worth it because in the morning we then walked along this beach. It was called Dunas de Pinette. Um, beautiful with salt flats at the back we saw flamingos and we walked for a couple of kilometers and we met these two ladies of a certain age who who kind of started chatting to us and we told them we were researching this book and this one lady just was waxing lyrical about the beach and how it made her feel and then she said suddenly said do you mind if i recite a poem i've written and at like nine o'clock in the morning she stood and recited this poem about the bay and its beauty, which I videoed. And we've actually included four lines of it in the book. Um because we yeah, because mm-hmm. I'd already decided to do a poet. I found managed to find a poet for for each region and uh, who'd oh. written a poem about the <laughs> sea. So this lady became our poet for that region. Oh,
2: that's, that's...
3: <laughs> which was just yeah. it was amazing. Um...
0: Can, can we monitor. go into the campervan, as it were? Um, what on earth is it like being in a camper van for such a long time? I mean, Mick and I have very little experience of these things. We once hitched a lift successfully in the uh, Pyrenees in a campervan for about uh, 10 minutes. I... After five decades of hitchhiking, finally in 2019, um, hitched a vehicle towing a caravan. Um, But apart from that, I've um, not had much to do with it. So uh, they're they're clearly becoming very, very popular these difficult days. Um, What are the pros and cons?
3: Well, the major pro is to be able to stop wherever you want, Um, to not be reliant on booking hotels or campsite. The fact that you've got everything you need with you, that just the freedom. There's nothing better than finding somewhere beautiful and just deciding to just stop there and then saying, OK, well, I'll start cooking. You've got everything, everything with you. Um, we'd actually want, while well, we were doing the book, actually, pu- we we had a place in a campsite in uh, the peninsula of Ogrove in Galicia. And we decided, because that's right on the west, so we decided to drive to a beach and watch the sunset. And we just found this gorgeous spot. We were among reeds and purple sea, lavender and toad flax. And we were so happy and peaceful. We just went, oh, well, let's not bother going back to the campsite. We'll just stay here. So we just cooked our dinner and... We're there in the morning to see the sunrise. Um,
0: But we're talking in the week in which um, hotel quarantine has been introduced in the UK. And uh, I tested this out just for one night in an airport hotel. And I thought, crikey, uh, that's one night is fine, a few hours. But I wouldn't want to be here for 11 nights. I mean, you've done years um, in a camper van, which presumably is even more cramped than an airport hotel. Uh, There must surely be
2: some some downsides. I think if you're living in a campervan, especially you know two people together, you've you really got to agree to get along. You know, you're not gonna, you know, you're you're there with each other. You know, every time you turn, someone's there or getting in the way. You've just got you you have to you have to learn. Otherwise, you know, you're you can't start getting annoyed with people for being in your space or not doing this or doing that. And well, I guess you've also got to you know you've got to love each other and get along. You've also <laughs> kind of think you've got to work your strengths. You know. I, I've always kind of. I like to clean the van. Dolly would do the washing up, that kind of thing. You know, it's, I hate doing the washing up. Ah. Um, we also shared the driving, which was good. You know, I love driving, but also Dolly likes driving too, so we shared it one day on and one day off.
3: I think you, you really, really you realise quite quickly when you travel for a long time in a van actually how little you need. You know, um, when I left, just before I left, I packed most of my possessions into my shed because. Um, And, you know, I've been back for nearly a year now and I still haven't taken 80 percent of them out because I'm really happy not having them in the house now.
1: Oh, that's quite good. That's quite a modern thing as well, isn't it? To be um, uh, reliant on fewer things and kicking things out. And that's good. Yeah. I'd like to ask each of you. Which your favorite beach is out of all of those, well, four hundred odd uh, nearly five hundred beaches that you've visited, which is the one that you would most readily go back to. And
3: um... um, well, my one is definitely Kalapudant in Menorca. Ah. So Menorca is um, some of the beaches in Menorca are off the scale, they are like the Caribbean, their the sand is white 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 and the water is turquoise and a lot of them are away you know really out you have to go you have to walk quite a bit to get there and Calais Prudant was actually the last one we visited when we were in Menorca and we just chilled out and swam uh, within the you know in the countryside among nature so definitely that was my favourite. What
2: about you John? I think Playa Mon In um in Almeria. it was um it's a in the natural park, and the are able natural park, and so there was this beautiful kind of rock formations that look like kind of muffins, like volcanic muffins that were <laughs> over kind of into the sea, and there was just, in huge sand dunes, and there's so much space, and then we discovered that they'd filmed um Indiana Jones there in the Last Crusade, you know the bit with um Sean Connery where he gets his umbrella and he flushes up the the birds into the sky to bring down the Nazi plane. I think that was probably my favourite. It really was just, you know, you felt you were just, you know, on a film set, or in the yeah, right in the middle of nowhere. It was brilliant. And the sea was just really warm. And so just all these geological formations. And afterwards, in fact, I found out the other day, because I was doing some more research, was they filmed the, the never-ending story there as well. So... There we go. So that kind of, that for me kind of was, I think that's my favorite. It's beautiful.
0: Absolutely stunning. Well, I'm going to go. And if you don't mind uh, me popping mine in, um, it's not hidden, it's not secret. It's San Sebastian, the very first Spanish beach I ever visited, uh, having hitchhiked down through France to get there. And just this perfect crescent of sand there's an island offshore and more to the point in about five minutes walk you can get to the best uh, uh places for pinchos that's the basque tapas on the planet
1: <laughs> but that's not a long way from being secret of course but uh ah. but, but it is lovely
3: although that that island is quite there's not that many people get to that island we were there that's in Aber. Ah,
1: is it oh the ah right yeah,
2: we, yes. we swam over there it was it was yeah, it was fun
1: well, Lola and John, thank you so much um for talking about your uh, book which I as I say I do think looks really lovely. And um when is it actually going to be published?
3: It's published on the 1st of March.
1: Oh, 1st of March. Okay. So oh, that, well, that's um yes. that's that, that's very soon. Uh and um and it's called uh, Spanish um Span-
3: Hidden Beaches Spain. Hidden
1: Beaches Spain. Okay, fine. Well, look, we will put the mm-hmm. details of hidden uh, beaches, Spain, uh, on our, uh, our website at uh, anchor.fm uh, forward slash. You should have been there, and also on our uh, on our Twitter uh, account, which is Simon. I wish I could remember it.
0: Um, it's very straightforward, Mick. I am um, sure uh, lovely listeners uh, perhaps have got grasped it by now. It's simply uh, on Twitter at you should have.
1: BT.
3: And we would like to offer your listeners um, a discount code for the book as well. Oh,
1: well, that's very nice of you. And um, we'll put that on the uh, uh, website uh, as as soon as you can um, uh, send us the details. But um, in the meantime, thank you so much, Lola and John. It's been a great pleasure talking to you.
2: It's
3: been a pleasure.
2: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, boys. Have a wonderful day.
0: (laughs) Well, look, um, we... We are going to be preparing our next podcast. Um, the uh, podcast 58 in our series is actually going to be Confessions of a Tour Guide. We have one of the world's leading tour guides who's going to talk us through everything from weather and how they size people up at the airport when they're beginning it to um, the, the, the worst travel disasters and whether indeed a tour guide is actually a drinking buddy, a social worker or a therapist. That's all coming up in podcast 58. But meanwhile, uh, my thanks too to John and Lola. And uh, well, you can contact us anytime you want to at You Should Have BT on Twitter. But for me, Simon Calder,
1: and me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye.